Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hold the Line. My name's Joe, and I'm a British force-free gun dog trainer. You can check out my online courses at forcefreegundog.com. The newest course is called Training the T Drill. You can also pick up a copy of my book called Force Free Gun Dog Training: The Fundamentals for Success, which is available on Amazon's everywhere around the world. There's also an accompanying workbook to record your training sessions in. I'm currently working on a sequel to Force Free Gun Dog Training. And I hope it's going to be out maybe in about six months. We'll see. That's all for now. Let's get on with the show. Train your gun dog without force or fear. Motivate and educate. Hold the line is here. Prevention, repetition, generalization, motivation. Hold the line. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Hold the Line. So, On this episode today, I'm going to talk about a behavior which is perhaps not an integral part of gun dog training per se, but it is something that people have a lot of difficulties with, with gun dog breeds. And this is the drop behavior, otherwise known as the please release that disgusting thing that you've picked up behavior. So difficulties people have with this, and I have a lot of clients who experience problems with with this kind of thing. So It's stuff like the dog finds dead animals, rabbits or birds or whatever, and, you know, eats them when they're out. Um, The dog, which will eat a stick or a stalky bit of seaweed, just the dog which eats stuff which you don't think that they should eat and which doesn't release that thing in a ready, sort of readily, um, in a ready way, isn't willing to release that thing when asked. So we're going to sort of talk about this as a concept, the drop, and what we can do to ensure that our dog drops. So the first thing to say, and this is going to sound a little bit um, perhaps self-explanatory to a lot of people, but I think it's important to say, which is that you actually have to train this. So you can't train this on the job, as it were. You can't go out with your young dog and come across something on the ground, which they start to eat. And that's the first time that you start rushing in and saying drop and waving treats around and things. So this isn't going to work if that's what you do. And, you know, this is about looking ahead. And so much of good dog training is about looking ahead for seeing the problems that are going to arise in the future, whether that's problems within a um, a tiny little finessed behavior or whether that is sort of more long-term issues, which you're going to need to think ahead about and putting stuff in ahead of time before you get there so that you're kind of building a solution in from the start. And in that way, you actually never really have the problem to begin with. So, so much of dog training is about that. And so many of the people that I work with who have problems with their dogs, whatever those problems are, they have those problems because they haven't done that, because they ha- they are firefighting, as it were. They're just kind of waiting for the problem to happen, and then they are trying to deal with it. And that's just not a good way to train any behavior at all. <clears throat> it's especially problematic with a self-reinforcing behavior like the drop, because obviously the dog is enjoying eating the thing. So in itself, that is that is particularly difficult because it's so self-reinforcing. So now we've said that, you've got to start training your drop ahead of time way before you actually need to be training it. Let's talk about um, 
kind of a bit more stuff behind the scenes. So the first thing to say is that a lot of puppies will pick up stuff around the house, which you don't want them to pick up, like, I don't know, tissues, also known as Kleenex if you're in North America, um, underwear, um, uh, I don't know, all kinds of bits and pieces and stuff, which they pick up off the floor or pull from tables or low, low shelves. Um, and you just don't want them to have that stuff. And again, what you don't want to be doing when this happens with your tiny puppy is be rushing at your puppy and opening their mouth and taking it off the puppy. And that is, that is a place where a lot of people create a lot of problems for the future. So, if your dog gets used to you coming up to them and taking stuff off them, it's going to be developing a sort of anti-retrieve sentiment in your dog, whereby your dog does not want you to be anywhere near them when they have an item which they value, whether that item is underwear or whether it is a bird or whether it is a bumper or a dummy. They're not going to want you to be anywhere near them when they have it. So they're going to do what we call play keep away. They're going to dance around at a distance or maybe they're going to try and run off with the thing and not bring it back to you in the future retrieve training sessions. Now, we can train this out and the clicker retrieve is a great way to train it out, but isn't it much better if we just don't train it in in the first place and if we kind of actively, proactively do stuff to prevent it from becoming an issue. So this is what I suggest that you do. Firstly, with a little puppy, you do not have loads of stuff lying around which the pup is going to try to pick up. You try to keep everything up out of the puppy's reach, pushed well back from the edge of tables or shelves or places where the pup might be able to jump up and pull stuff off. You probably want to have a room which the puppy is confined to, which is even more devoid of stuff than the rest of the house. So this should not be like a, an out of, the, out of the way room, like you're not going to banish the puppy to the basement or the garage or somewhere, but you're going to like have a stair gate, for example, on the kitchen or on the lounge or office or whatever, so that you can keep an eye on the pup and supervise the pup all the time that they're out of their crate. So anytime the puppy could be potentially putting something in their mouth they're not supposed to, you're going to be supervising that puppy. So when eventually the puppy does pick stuff up, because no matter how much you try and keep stuff out of their reach, at some point they're going to pick stuff up that you don't want them to have, you are going to have in your pocket some treats. Now, it depends on how much the pup values the thing they've picked up as to what the treats are going to be. If your puppy is very food motivated and maybe not, you know, obsessively into objects or whatever it is they've picked up, they're probably going to be happy to drop whatever it is just for some regular food or some dry treats of some description. But if your puppy is really into picking up items and really loves to pick stuff up, then you might need to have tastier treats you're still going to have to have something that you can put in your pocket. So it's not going to be able to be like really squishy and disgusting, but you're going to make sure that you've got it there at hand. And that's important. So you don't want to be like, I don't know, your pup's picked up a tissue and you're going to have to go to the kitchen and get treats out of the fridge to go back to your puppy because by then the puppy's going to be eaten the tissue. So one of the reasons that humans want to rush in and take stuff off puppies is that they they have this panic response to seeing the thing that they value getting destroyed. So you are not going to want to go and get treats at this moment. You're going to need to have treats on your person. So that's important. If for some reason you can't actually have them on your person, you're going to need to have them in a pot somewhere in pretty much every room or place where you might need them. So another alternative solution is having like little pots of them on shelves or mantelpieces or positions and places around the house that you know where they are and can easily quickly grab one to ask the pup to let go of the thing or whatever it is they've picked up. So, all right, so your puppy has picked up 
the thing and you've got treats on you. You are going to get your treats. Now, I suggest you have several treats in your hand when you do this. So like a little handful of treats. Now, there's two options in terms of where you put the treats and what you do with them. Option one is you put them right on the puppy's nose to really make the puppy aware of the treats. Now, this is what I suggest you do with baby puppies that don't have any history of having stuff taken off them or any feelings about hands coming towards their face. Because the baby puppy is going to be made immediately aware of the treats in this way, and they're probably going to drop the item. But if you've got a puppy which is, uh, I don't know, has a history of having having stuff taken off them, you know, they've had their mouth opened and they've had stuff taken off them that they didn't want to give up, you're not going to want to reach towards a puppy's face in this way. Because if you do that, you are going to remind the puppy of all those times in the past that their mouth was opened and stuff was taken off them. And you're going to start to see avoidance behaviours as a result of that. So you'll see the puppy turning their head away, moving away, um, maybe going still, all these things when you reach towards their face, even with treats in your hand. So for puppies like this, with a history of having had stuff taken off them, instead you're going to put the treats on the floor about two feet away from the puppy's nose, and you're going to do what I call value the treats. By valuing the treats, you are going to pick up a treat and just pop it in the air a foot or two and be like, whoa, look at this treat. And then you're going to get another one and be like, whoa, look at this treat. Isn't this fun? A bit like you're playing with marbles a couple of feet away from the puppy. So what you're trying to convey to the puppy here is this is the valuable stuff. This stuff that I have here that I've got. Wow, this is the fun stuff. This is the valuable stuff. The thing that you've got in your mouth. I don't want that. I don't care about that. This is the stuff. So when you do that, most puppies will drop what they're holding because they want to come and eat your treats and their attention is is removed from what they're holding and applied to the treats instead. So whichever of these two methods that you use, whether you put the treats on the puppy's nose or whether you play with them on the floor in front of the puppy, the puppy is going to drop the item. When the puppy drops the item, this is the important bit, you are not going to take that item away if the puppy can see you. And the puppy probably can see you if they've dropped in it, it's right in front of them. They're going to see you if you reach for it. Now, why don't we want the puppy to see us picking up the item? Because if the puppy sees us reach towards the item and take possession of it, we are kind of reminding the puppy that this is something we want. And we're going to trigger all those sort of, that's mine feelings in the puppy. And there's going to be this mad rush whereby we kind of lunge for the item and the puppy often will then see this and lunge for the item at the same time and it becomes all about who gets the item first and it's just sort of triggering the pup's um, sort of feelings about wanting to keep this object to themselves. It's re-kind of stimulating all of those, re-enlivening all of those, reawakening all of those, if that's enough words to describe what it's doing. So... Um, you don't want to reach for the thing if the pup can see you. So what are you going to do? You've got your treats. The pups drop the thing. You have to use some of your treats to get the pup to walk over what they've dropped so that it ends up behind them. So with one hand, you are going to play, keep playing with the treats, keep playing with the treats, popping them in the air, being exciting. If the, the pup will drop the item and they'll come and start to eat some of these treats, and you're going to keep that hand on the treats, keep playing with the treats with your other hand. You're going to pick up the item, which at this moment is behind the puppy now because they've walked over it. So puppy drops the item, puppy walks over the item to come and get the treats that you're playing with. And you pick up the item with your other hand behind the puppy so they don't see you pick it up. So at some point, the pup is going to turn around and see you holding the item already. And that's fine. For some reason, do not ask me why this is. 
I don't know. I can only tell you that it is. For some reason, the puppy turning around and seeing you already holding the item does not trigger these feelings. The puppy seeing you reach for and take possession of the item does trigger these feelings. So this is how you're going to do this little maneuver. This is what I call the sort of basic take stuff off the puppy maneuver. And it's what you're going to use anytime you need to take something away. This will ensure you get stuff off the pup quickly before it gets destroyed and will ensure you do that without developing any sort of problematic feelings about you taking things away from them before the click and retrieve process is completed and before you've trained all of that in. Also, hopefully, before you go out and about much with your pup and encounter many dead things that you want the puppy to leave. So we're going to talk about that next because that is like drop stage 101. Hold the line. So the next thing probably to touch on is when to attach a cue to your drop behavior. Don't worry, we're going to talk about what to do out and about in a minute. And I have lots of tips for you there. But firstly, let's talk about the cue because I really want to drill down on this because, again, this is a problem for a lot of people. So what do we want the word drop to mean? We want the word drop to mean release that thing in your mouth. So what it often comes to mean is keep hold of that thing in your mouth, eat it even faster than you're eating it or run away with it. And why does it come to mean that? It comes to mean that because people start to say drop when the dog is going to do these things after the word. So whatever the dog does after you say the word is what you're attaching to the word, just like any other behavior. So if you say drop and the dog eats the thing, you're teaching the dog that the word drop means eat the thing. If you say drop and the dog runs away from you with the thing, you're teaching the dog that the word drop means carry, hold and run away from me with that thing. Enjoy that thing. Possess that thing. So it's really important that you don't use the word drop until you have trained the behavior, until you would bet 50 quid or dollars if you're in North America or whatever your currency is, if you're listening to this from anywhere else in the world, 50 of whatever your currency markings are, um, that the that the dog will release the thing, that you can get the dog to release the thing using treats or through training or whatever. But you want to be sure that you can get that behavior after the word or you're attaching the wrong thing to the word. So don't use the word in situations where you're not sure it's going to work yet. Make sure you can you train things in a really controlled way. And that's what we're going to talk about in a minute. But I just want to emphasize this with the cue. Now, there is another problem that can happen with attaching the cue, which I've also seen. And this problem tends to happen with people who are really clicker savvy, people who've really absorbed my previous words of advice here about not attaching the cue too soon. These people just don't attach the cue at all. So they have a lovely drop behavior in class. They can use treats and get their dog to drop whatever it is that the dog has picked up. And, you know, they can they can do this when we're practicing it. But they don't attach a cue to it. So when they then find themselves in a real life situation where the dog has picked something up that they want the dog to drop, they don't have a word. They don't have a cue that they've trained the dog to respond to. So they can't really use this beautiful behavior that they've trained and that they've made. So my opposite piece of advice here is that once you do start to get a reliable behavior, it's important that you do start to associate that behavior with a cue and that you don't get so worried about attaching a cue too soon that you just don't attach one ever at all because that is equally a problem. So make sure when you've got the dog fluently releasing the item that you do start to train in your drop cue and that you do lots of reps with this because it's about repetition. 
attaching a cue and getting the dog to recognize that cue. So you don't just be, want to be doing this like once and then assuming that you've somehow taught this cue drop because the dog is not going to recognize that word unless they've had a serious number of reps associated with it. So that's the other important thing to say here about training it. So let's talk about some other exercises now that you can do with the drop to strengthen this. Hold the line. So one place that I like to use the drop word, and part of the reason for this is just what we were talking about, getting those reps in, is when playing tug with my dog. So I will start to say drop, and this is the word that I'd use where maybe um, many other trainers and bite sports, for example, would use the word out. I would use the word drop meaning spit that thing out of your mouth, because that's what I want the dog to do with a tug at that moment. And because using this word and this cue in this way lets me get lots of reps in. So I can use this over and over, and over again in a, in a way during the tuggy game. Now, when I'm playing tug with my dog, I can either use the next game with the tug as a reinforcer for the dog releasing. So I can either say tag or whatever my cue is, to tell the dog they can bite again. Okay, some people just use the release word. Um, and the, the, the tug itself, the next game, becomes the reinforcer for the dog letting go. Or we can use food as the reinforcer for the dog letting go of the tug. And then I can go back into another tug game. So there are pros and co- different pros and cons to that. We're not going to get into that in a lot of depth here because I want to focus on the drop behavior and not on how to play tug. But just be aware there are two different options there, either using the tug itself as a reinforcer for letting go or using food as a reinforcer for letting go. I tend to find that the dogs that I work with, most of the gun dog breeds, find food more reinforcing than tug. So if you're given a choice between the food and the tug, they will choose food. And so I do actually try to use food in that way and when I'm playing tug. And the reason for that is the the learning history that I'm associating with the drop cue and the way that in future I want to be able to use this on disgusting things out and about that I want the dog to drop. So if the dog has a learning history of drop meaning let go and then you get to play tug again when i say drop they may be less likely to let go than if they have a learning history of drop meaning let go and you get some tasty food and that depends on the dog and what they value more food or toys as i said the, most of the dogs i work with will value food over toys so just kind of have that in mind as well so it may be a bit harder sometimes we're getting into tug here now, having said that I wouldn't, but it may be harder sometimes to get the dog to eat the food and then go back to playing tug because they may want more food. But if you put the food well away and you persevere with playing again, so the food is off your person, maybe on the table with the lid on, pushed out of the way, and you move away from that place where you put the food to play tug again, then usually you can get the dog back into playing tug, maybe with a little bit more effort than usually, but usually you can do that. So that's what I like to do. One way that I like to to be using my tug. Obviously, um, a tug is not as valuable as a dead rabbit, (laughs) but it lets me practice the drop and food. And by the way, I wouldn't be at first, and this is important actually, I wouldn't be at first waiting for the dog to let go before I produce the food. And that's another reason for using food over using the tug itself as the reinforcer. By that, I mean that I'd be just playing tug with the dog. I would say drop and I would just stick food on the dog's nose. So I'm not waiting for the behavior and then reinforcing the behavior in a sort of operant way. Instead, I'm sort of just associating the word 
drop in a classical way with the appearance of food because that's going to make the dog be like food there's food when they hear the word drop and it's just going to have a much more kind of instinctual unthinking automatic response to the word than it is if i train in an operant way that's what i find anyway so when i say an operant way i would mean if you were training in an operant way you'll be waiting for the dog to let go and then you'll be providing the food as a reinforcer for the dog for letting go Now, it may end up looking very similar, but what I do at first to start the behavior off is I would say drop and then I would just stick the food in the dog's nose. Whatever the dog is doing, even if they're still pulling, I'm sticking the food in the dog's nose. The dog's going to smell the food and they're going to let go because they want the food. So that's important as well. So the other thing that I could that I could do sometimes, um, and if you look on YouTube, you'll find a great uh, video by Sherek Patel about training the drop. You can just search on YouTube for Sherek Patel drop and you will find his video it's quite a long video it's i think it's about 13 minutes long or something i don't do all the stages in the way that he that he does them but i like this idea of beginning without an object so what he does in the video is walk around with some treats say the word drop and throw treats on the floor so he's also kind of classically conditioning it there so the word drop means treats are appearing whatever the whatever the dog is doing it's not contingent on any behavior from the dog. It's just that this word happens and then treats appear. So that's a similar thing in a way to just sticking food in the dog's nose when you're playing tuggy. So um, I quite like doing that as well. So after we've done this sort of preliminary provisional work, the next one of the next valuable things that I like to do is to train drop on higher value items, but in a controlled setting because your worst kind of problem scenario is you're out and about with your dog they are off leash and at a distance from you they find something valuable like a dead rabbit or whatever it is and because they're off leash and at a distance from you you have very limited control over the situation in terms of being able to even sometimes get close enough to the dog to put the food on their nose because they just want to eat the rabbit or run off with it so you can't even get anywhere near the dog to be able to do this so i find that you need to practice this first when you're working with higher value items in a smaller area like a room for example rather than outdoors so you can also put a long line on the dog if you wanted to do it that way but i much prefer the dog to feel a little bit more free and so to be indoors inside a room for example so firstly you want to make sure that you have in your mind a rough understanding of what the dog values the dog sort of hierarchy of what they value so dogs can differ quite a bit on this some dogs are not really that into items unless they are definitely edible Other dogs are really, really into everything. So (laughs) you've just got to kind of know in your head before you present the dog with an item, how much do you think your dog is going to value that item? How much do you think they're going to really want that thing? Because you want to start with the stuff which they value a bit less. So you might start with toys that they're used to, for example, which is going to be really easy. And then you might start with novel toys, which they haven't really experienced before but you just bought them from the pet shop or something so they're going to want them a little bit more because they've they've not been able to play with them or check them out and they're going to be a bit more interesting for that reason and then you might progress on to edible things so okay folks it's time for a whistle pause a whistle pause is when there would usually be an advert from a sponsor but I don't have a sponsor, so instead, I'm going to play you a tune on my trusty Acme 212. Now, 
Now the tune there is slightly hampered by the fact that the 212 is just one pitch, but I hope you can appreciate the rhythm. Now the reason that we've got this beautiful whistle pause instead of an advert is because I don't get any funding for this podcast or sponsorship. I record it, edit it, upload it myself and I pay for the server. I don't want to get a sponsor because then I have to promote whatever business is sponsoring me and apart from the fact that I think that most dog products are bollocks, I would lose some of the independence and the freedom that I have at the moment to say whatever I want to say about whatever I want to say it about. But if you want to support me and if you like this podcast, then there are some ways that you can support me, which will also benefit you, I hope. So you can check out the online courses I make, which you can find at forcefreegundog.com. And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training, and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called The Workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon wherever you live in the world. So I really hope you can support me and check out some of this material. Anyway, that is the end of today's whistle pause. Let's get back to the show. Let's talk about the the edible things. And when you're doing this, by the way, you are doing exactly the procedure that I just described at the beginning of this podcast, where you are either putting the treats on the dog's nose, or if you see any signs of avoidance when you try that, you're going to be playing with the treats on the floor in front of the dog. So that's the kind of protocol that you're using to achieve the drop. And again, when you can see that the dog is fluently dropping an item, you can then start to add the cue drop. And you want to keep practicing over and over And if the dog stops being interested in picking up the item, you can always switch to a new item here. So this is not necessarily about the dog continuing to play with something. We just want the dog to pick stuff up so we can practice asking the dog to drop it. So if the dog gets bored of a particular toy or a particular item that you're working with, then just produce a new item, which the dog's going to be more interested in. So you can then practice with that one. So let's talk about how to practice with food, because the problem here is that the dog often will just eat stuff which is edible and then you've got like one second to practice a drop before the dog swallowed the thing. So I've got some tips on this one and um, this is this is quite a creative solution that I've come up with which I haven't really heard anyone else come up with. It doesn't mean that no one else out there does it but I think it works really well and I've not had anyone else come up with this. So this is the cage ball idea. Hold the line What am I talking about with the cage ball? I'm going to describe this to you and I hope that you can all kind of picture in your minds the dog toy, which I'm describing. So it is made of rubber, but it's not, and it's a ball, but it's not a solid ball. It's a ball made of rubber, which has big holes, big gaps. It's like a Swiss cheese, but it's a ball. Does that make sense? It's like a cage. It's like a ball, which is a cage, a rubber cage. I think that's the best description that I can give you of this item. If I remember, I can try and find a link and put it in the show notes to an example of it. So these balls come in different sizes. You want to make sure you don't choose one that's too small if you have a big dog because you don't want them to try to eat it. So make sure you get a size which is not huge because they do come very, very large, but also not too small for your dog. So what you're going to do with your cage ball is put something inside it which is edible something which only just fits through the cage of the ball so that it's kind of inside rattling around in there. So something which is quite firm usually works quite well because the dog won't be able to get that out. So for example, you might cut off a bit of a tripe stick or you might um, cut off a bit of any other chew of your choosing and stick it in there. 
So what we want is that the dog is aware that there's food there, can lick the food because the cage ball's got these big gaps around it. So they can kind of make contact with the food and can lick the food, but they can't eat it really quickly and easily because it's inside this ball. So this lets us practice drop on an edible item, which the dog just is unable to eat really instantly. So this means we've got time to get our treats, to put them on the floor in front of the dog, to value the treats by plopping them around in the air and to really work on getting the dog's focus off the ball and onto our treats. We've got all the time in the world to experiment with this and to dial up the value maybe of our treats if we need to, to compete with whatever is inside the cage ball. So we can really work on this and experiment with it without a dog which is just instantly eating the tripe stick or whatever it is. So... It's this is a great one for stuff which is edible and it's a really kind of powerful um exercise. So if I've ever got a dog which shows any kind of issues with trying to eat stuff out and about, this is a key exercise, the cage ball exercise. So that's my one tip. And as I said, as you're starting to work with these edible items, edible things inside the ball, you are going to need to make sure that your treats are more desirable to the dog than whatever is inside the cage ball. Now, they may be more desirable ultimately just because the dog learns they can actually get your treats and they can't get the thing inside the cage ball. So that's one way they can become more desirable. But of course, when you're out and about, your dead rabbit is not going to be inside cage ball. So you kind of need to also be making sure you're using really tasty treats so that when you come across a dead rabbit, your treats that you produce are going to have a sort of, well, the, the behavior is going to have a learning history. It's going to, it's going to have a history of being associated with amazing, amazing treats, not just whatever you were using inside the house because the dog knew they couldn't get the thing inside the cage ball. So really pull out the super deeper treats on this one um, and be generous. And just like before, make sure that you are using that drop word when the behavior starts to get fluent, that you are training the dog to hear that word just before they release the cage ball treat. And of course, you can put different things in your cage ball. So you can generalize this to different items. They do have to be things that don't just fall out and that things that aren't going to sort of disintegrate with a few chews. So not squishy stuff, stuff which is going to be pretty hard and stay inside your ball as it were. So there is one more tip that I want to give you, which is what to use when you're out and about as a, as a reinforcer. And obviously this depends on the dog, but there are also a couple of other things to kind of point out for you. So let's talk about the real world. Hold the line. So let's assume you've done all of this. You've raised your puppy to willingly release things that they've picked up around the house. You've not ever opened the puppy's mouth and forcefully taken stuff off them, unless it's been an emergency, for example. You have um, you've trained your cue. You've, you've done many reps with a cue. You've made sure that you've attached the cue to the desired behavior. So you've only started to use the cue when the dog was fluent in releasing an item. And you have actually attached the cue. You've not just kept on training a drop without ever attaching a verbal cue, but there is a cue that you've used. So you've done all this kind of preliminary work. You've used the cage ball in the house. You've got the, drop, the dog able to drop the cage ball, whatever you can think of to put in it. And you've got treats that you can reinforce that behavior for. You've done all of this. And now you are out and about in the real world and you want to know how can you keep this behavior strong and what do we need to think about out there in the real world when we're dealing with dead rabbits and things like that. So here's a little story for you. I once had a dog, this is my Slovakian rough head pointer, by the way, who really liked to eat dead rabbits. And I did all of the above 
all of the aforementioned steps. And the thing is that what I came to realize is that nothing that I could offer her, no treat that I could seem to be able to offer her was preferable to eating the dead rabbit, that she would choose the dead rabbit over pate, over, um, I don't know, massive pieces of smoked mackerel, over whatever it is. She would rather eat this disgusting, decomposing, stinky dead rabbit. So at first I was a bit frustrated by this, but then I decided to think about it as a thing. And when I started to think about it as a thing, I began to think, what is it about a dead rabbit which could be more appealing to a dog than pate or sardines or smoked mackerel? What qualities does a dead rabbit have which pate, sardines, whatever, do not have? And this this is what I came to think of. Firstly, a dead rabbit smells like death. It smells disgusting. It <laughs> to us anyway. It smells really, really hideous, unappetizing to me. It takes a while to eat, is the other thing. So it's not something a dog can just eat in a second, like a blob of pate or some mackerel. It's going to be something that the dog is chewing and chewing and chewing. There's duration to the enjoyment of this behavior. And the thing is substantially large as well, which is very related to the duration. So no wonder my little blobs of pate or whatever were just not really able to compete with how amazing the dead rabbit was, because my blobs of patty didn't have these familiar, well, these desirable qualities in the dog's eyes. So then I started to think, well, what can I, what can I carry on my person, which I'm prepared to carry on my person, not another dead rabbit or decomposing thing, but what can I have on my person, which A, smells disgusting like death, B, lasts a while, isn't something a dog just swallows in one mouthful, and C, that the dog is going to chew. There's going to be some sort of chewing involved. There's going to be some sort of, as I said before, last a while duration on this behavior. And what I came up with was tripe sticks. So tripe sticks smell like death. They smell disgusting. They take a while to chew, especially if you you know don't cut off a bit, but use a whole tripe stick or a substantial piece of tripe stick. And this worked and transformed our drop behavior. So I then, I then would go out, and I still do this now, even with other dogs, because since then I found this to be the most effective way to achieve a drop behavior and to keep it strong. I go, I go out with a few tripe sticks. I have like two or three tripe sticks in my pocket anytime I'm out with the dog. And if the dog finds something disgusting like a dead rabbit or whatever, then I'll do my drop, which I've previously trained, as described in this podcast earlier. I'll do my drop, but I'll reward it with a tripe stick. So the dog gets something equivalent, matching the thing I've asked them to let go of. and this has just been great for my dog. So this is how I would reinforce a drop. It does mean that I now go out with three different types of treats. So I have my regular treats for most behaviors, pretty much everything. And then I've got my recall treats, which are my extra special, squishy, tasty, disgusting treats, as it were, which are things like gourmet wet dog food, black pudding, haggis, um, <laughs> um, what, oh, I can't think of it, sardines, squishy things, pate, um, and if I want to be extra gourmet with this, I will even put it in a bowl, put it in the microwave and heat it up a little bit. So the dog gets warm, squishy, disgusting treats for recalls. So, so those are my recall treats. And I also now have a little bag of tripe sticks in my pocket as well. So two or three. And as I use them, I kind of replace them 
so that I've always got two or three tripe sticks for the occasions when my dog finds something. And sometimes we won't find anything. Often often we don't find anything. I don't need to use any tripe sticks. But if we do, I have a tripe stick. So these are all my tips on training the drop behavior. And I hope that helps. It is not a behavior which is directly about gun dog training, but do you know, it is connected to the retrieve because how your dog feels about an object in your presence is integral to the retrieve. Anytime we're dealing with an object, things become a three-way process. There's you, the dog, and the object. And that turns things into a very different scenario than it just being you and the dog. So you and the dog is much simpler than you, the dog, and an object. When you're working with an object, in whatever way, whether it's a retrieve item, a dummy, whether it's a tuggy, whether it's something you want the dog to drop, when you're working with an object, there's a kind of triangle going on there and things become more complicated when it's just than when it's just you and the dog. So anyway, those are my thoughts about training the drop behavior as it were, and I hope those are useful. And I'll see you again next time.